You can spell defense without N-E-T-S. Is this Nets defense going to plague them all season? How concerned should we be with the team's performances against bad teams? We'll talk all about it with Nets sideline reporter Michael Grady. And on episode eight, and with the Nets taking on the Pacers, we'll chat with a former Nets number eight and the Pacers pre- and post-game analyst, Eddie Gill. All that and more is next on a frustration edition of Full Court on Flatbush from the New York Post. The next stop is Barclays Center. Full court on Flatbush. Flatbush Avenue. It's the podcast. A New York Post. BK. Most stars in the sky. The three. Court on Flatbush. I'm your host, Robin Lundberg, alongside my co-host, former net number 30, Kerry Kittles. Subscribe to the show wherever you get podcasts, but if you're using Apple, give us a five-star rating. Write a nice review on Apple Podcasts, please. We got a packed edition of the pod today as Nets courtside reporter on Yes Network, Michael Grady, joins us. We'll also be joined on episode eight by a former Nets number eight, Kerry's old teammate in New Jersey, and now the Pacers pre- and post-game analyst, Eddie Gill. But before all that, Carrie, I need your help today. Can you help me out? Yes, I can. I got your back. You know, usually I'm I'm pretty calm, cool, and collected. I think I mean I have energy, but I'm a little frustrated. I'm a little frustrated coming in. We all are. I think we all are. And you know, I'm both more and less frustrated than I should be. I'm more frustrated than I should be because the Nets keep losing to these inferior teams. I'm tired of, you know, the Pistons and the, the Cavs and the Wizards, right? And and I'm probably less frustrated than I should be because I know I've seen the Nets beat the Clippers. I, I've seen them play, you know, the elite teams at a, a certain high level. So I'm not quite, like, apoplectic about the long-term prognostications for the team. But just how frustrated should I be, Kerry? You shouldn't be too frustrated. Uh, you know, you watched the game last night, and you know, and they lost to the Pistons. And, and the first thing I saw was Steve Nash from the baseline. You know, as the team is leaving the court, you know, he's clapping and he and he's super positive with with his troops. So there's so many new factors into this season so far with the trade, the new addition, the the COVID stuff that's going on. I mean, the Kyrie disappearance for a couple of weeks. I mean, there's <laughs> there's so many things that going losing Jared Allen, which I think we're now realizing. It was a huge deal for the Nets uh, and their inside presence. So um, there's so many factors right now that I, I, I think can help you relax, Robin, a little bit and, uh, and take a little angst off of you. But there are some concerning issues that are lingering with the Nets, primarily their defense, which everybody's talking about right now, and their turnovers, which are just, it kills them, the turnovers. So I think they'll figure it out. I, I think that they have enough guys on their team that are capable. But I tell you what, the sample size is growing, and – if things don't change soon, I don't know. Relaxed, that's a word, because it sure feels like they're a little relaxed on defense at times. I, I think there are, are roster shortcomings, right? Like, defense is not all just about effort. Bruce Brown's probably the one guy who does the dirty work on the team. They're missing Kevin Durant, who might be their best defensive player overall, right? right? When James Harden is, like, the best defensive member of your backcourt, uh, you, you might have problems. But when it comes to just relaxing on defense, what is going on 
with DeAndre Jordan right now. Can can you explain that to me? Because uh, sometimes it looks like a lack of effort. And, and I don't want to say that about somebody who's just been around the league and, and has a, a great reputation. But there are plays where he's not contesting at all. And, and I get it. He doesn't want to foul. Maybe there's just a, a limited number of jumps left in that that tank. But he's the, the lone big man on that team. And, and I think they're better defensively when Jeff Green's at center. So w- what's been going on at, at that position with DeAndre Jordan? And is he somebody that can be relied upon? For the remainder of the season. I mean, listen, we have to be honest, right? DeAndre Jordan definitely falls in that category, too, of when you're looking at this roster, what have they been throughout their careers? We say this about James Harden and Kyrie, haven't been known to be great defenders for most of their careers, right? DeAndre Jordan in the paint, like he's a what? Screen and roll dunk guy. That's what he is. Defensively, he's just not that anymore. He's a traffic cone. Yeah, he's just he's just a traffic cone. He, you know, he he leaves his man all the time and he tries to challenge shots. He, he blocks very few of them, gives up offensive rebounds behind him. So I could tell the players were frustrated yesterday with him. I mean, you, you saw Harden going over to him a couple of times during the game, asking him, where is he? You know, uh, Steve Nash was calling him over to the sidelines, having a, a, a talk to him. So, yeah, DeAndre Jordan is definitely um, someone who they uh, should not be relying on to hold the fort down. I mean, wouldn't we love to see the Nets get uh, Andre Drummond from uh, Cleveland? I mean, I don't know if it's possible. We talked about it a couple weeks ago. But, man, would he help this team in everything that they're deficient in right now on the defensive end with rebounding and changing shots around the rim? This is, uh, I don't know. It's a lot of questions right now. Like I've said, I'm a a big fan of their closing five, and I think they can play with anybody. That's the small ball lineup. But I I think it emphasizes the problem when you got fans going, oh, yeah, Noah Vonley. Let's get him in there as soon as possible. And and Noah Vonley played well for the Knicks a couple years ago and and could do some of that. I've seen him block Giannis Antetokounmpo at the rim. Or Norvell Pell, you know, let's get him in there. So, like, that's the the state of affairs with with that big man position. And and simply the lack of perimeter guys – uh, uh, in, in general, lack of wing defenders on in general. Maybe that's another way that they're missing Spencer Dinwiddie that we didn't really uh, account for. But when it comes to the effort and the, the pride in it, that's a um, that's a, a refrain that Steve Nash keeps going back to. And I'll tell you what, the first person that a panicked fan base points to is the head coach. Seeing Nets fans start to lose their patience with Steve Nash a little bit. Personally, I'm not really sure what he should be doing differently. It's not like, I mean, I've seen some hiccups in game here or there, but it's his first year. I don't really see like a glaring lineup problem or, or anything strategic. I, I kind of like his calm, steady demeanor that that's just me, but you're, you're going to get fans who say, Hey, the, the, the defense is on the coach too. You got to hold these guys accountable. Do you, do you think there's any pressure on Steve Nash right now? There's a little bit of pressure on him right now. I, I, I think, um, you know, but it's so, it's so early on. But the problems are very consistent, right? And he keeps talking about effort. Um, you know, he wants those guys to compete more. You know, he, he's tossing some things out there. But I may disagree with you about their roster. I mean, you look at those three starters, Harris, Kyrie, and James Harden. Those three guys aren't great defenders. So you have three guys on the court who just can't contain the dribble. They tend to foul. And what, what really disturbs me the most is they don't make hustle plays. And that's what's disturbing is that when you don't see guys getting in there and making scrappy effort plays or second effort plays, that's where you really see the defense um, succumbing. So uh, that's a problem, I think. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I don't think they have a, a defensive roster. And, and then they're just not very deep. I mean, when you take 
Kevin Durant off the team on a, a top heavy team. I think it shows why people were mentioned KD as an MVP kind of candidate. And who knows what the hell was going on with the safety protocols. I, I tend to not believe I know better than the experts, but free KD anyway. You know, um, <laughs> when it comes to you know, his situation overall, I mean, he, he's the, the guy who fits in seamlessly on offense, but he's also a big presence with, with his length on defense. Um, but even with KD in the lineup, some of these deficiencies were there. And, and I guess the, the question is, can you actually fix it? I mean, do they have the the give to get, right? I mean, you can you can use the buyout market. You can bring guys up from the, the G League or, or, or what have you, but they don't really have assets to trade. I mean, I, I don't even like to mention it because it would make Nets fans mad, but Joe Harris is probably their one asset at, at this time who, who would be movable in, in a deal. Uh, I, I imagine the, the best version of this team, and I always thought was going to be in years two and year three, but how much improvement do you think they can actually make? Very minimal, very minimal improvement as on defense. I, I think what we're asking from as a fan is, can this roster sustain a consistent effort night in and night out against the better teams and the, and the lower teams at the bottom of the league? And they can't do it consistently. So we will see them get their juices flowing and be ready to compete against the big-name teams. But when they're playing these smaller market teams or teams that aren't doing well, the Charlottes, you know, the Cleveland Cavs, they're just not there. They don't have that kind of effort to sustain. And so you're going to see these lapses. And now what you have to be concerned about is other teams are are now saying, when we play the Nets, just be ready to get buckets because they Mm -hmm. don't guard. (laughs) You can crash the boards. They don't box out. Like they just don't, they don't compete hard. So um, that's a problem. I I don't think it's going to be fixed anytime soon. So we may be looking at year two for this team to be making it to the finals. I think they'll do well in the East. I think they'll they'll compete. But I think you're looking at Philadelphia, you look at Boston, you look at Milwaukee, those teams are consistent teams. And they may not have as much offensive firepower as the Nets, but I don't want to face them in the playoffs. Yeah, guys, well, all 12 losses coming against teams below 500, so maybe they don't have to worry about it. It's where you want to draw up the schedule to good teams. But there is help coming on the way because it has just been announced that the Nets' uh, February uh, 23rd game against the Kings, fans will be permitted into Barclays Center. Praise the Lord. Restrictions will include, Cuomo has just announced, a 10% capacity in a, in 10,000-person-plus uh, arenas, a negative COVID test within 72 hours of the event, face covering, social distancing, temperature checks required, but it does seem there'll be at least a couple hundred fans at the Nets-Kings game on the 23rd, so it is a sign that in the second half of the season, maybe there is a couple thousand people on Nets games. I'm also still anticipating the return of Nick Claxton. And I want to be clear, as long as KD, Harden, and Kyrie are all out there and healthy, I'm still picking the the Nets in the East. That's why I'm probably less frustrated than I should be while simultaneously more frustrated (laughs) than I should be. Like I, I said before, Part of it is also the microscope this team is under, right? And it's great for us because we, we've got a fascinating team to cover. But we're, we're not, you know, when the Lakers go into overtime with the Pistons or lose to the Pistons earlier this year, we're not talking about it, partially because they're a championship team and proven. But, the, you know, it, it's just not a, a worthy discussion point. Some of this, I, I think, is also just ha- how laser-focused we all are on, on this team, no? Yeah, I think you're right. I think that the scrutiny is going to be there following these these talented players. Um, like I said before, we haven't seen a team constructed with three of the top ten scorers all on one team in the NBA. This is, this is fascinating to watch from a fan's perspective. So our expectations are so high 
we want to see these guys just blow teams out and just dominate them, right? And then we start to realize that they do have a lot of holes in their roster. They do have some deficiencies that are glaring that it's going to be hard to overcome it. You know, we're going to see this up and down team throughout the year. And I think it's probably what we have to get accustomed to, right? They're going to be resting guys, right? Because they just don't play these guys every single game. And there's going to be all these other distractions that are taking place throughout the NBA and throughout professional sports. So let's just hope that these guys are healthy, healthy at the end of the season and that they can strap their boots on and somehow manage, right, to overcome those defensive deficiencies and somehow find themselves playing later in the season. And when they do allow fans back in the building and they could do like a get a stop contest, if you can get a stop, <laughs> you get a 10-day contract or something like that. You know, maybe, oh, yeah. maybe, maybe bring that into play. I mean, you got to try anything. You never know where you can find talent, no? Yeah, yeah, I don't know. It's going to be tough. Good luck with that. <laughs> the, the stop uh, will be in front of Barclays Center, uh, Atlantic Avenue, Flatbush Avenue. Obviously, this is full court on Flatbush. Coming up next, we're going to talk to somebody who's a part of the Nets broadcast. It's the Yes Network's Michael Grady. I'll ask him if he thinks he could get buckets on the Nets. No, I won't, but he's next. Joining us now is Yes Network's courtside reporter for the Nets, Michael Grady. You can follow him on Twitter at Grady and on Instagram at the Michael Grady. Now, Michael, I, I know you've had uh, an interesting time covering the Nets, and, and this year in general has to be a, a, an interesting time. But do you understand yet the health and safety protocols? Has that been made clear to you after the whole Kevin Durant situation? No, no, it's actually migraine-inducing. So, no, I, I do not have a uh, firm understanding of health and safety protocols. I know that the point is to protect the players as as, uh, as much as you can, but there there is a lot of confusion, as we saw when uh, Kevin was pulled out of that game as he continues to test test negative. So, yeah, a lot of, lot of confusion with the whole thing, and um, uh, hopefully Kevin continues to test negative. I asked Coach Nash about it the other day, and he said, yeah, I think Kevin's had 90 consecutive negative tests. So, but he's still going to miss uh, t- uh, the, tonight's game against the Pacers as they get ready for their uh, West Coast road trip coming up. How many tests have you had to have? What's that like uh, broadcasting the games? Uh, so if you're on the floor, then you have to test every day. For media, and we're on a different level, players and anybody on the floor is in the red zone. I'm in the uh, yellow zone with the media, and so I only have to test on game day. So into the arena, quick nasal swab, about five, five, ten minute wait, and then um, and then you're given a sticker to go to your seat. So that's kind of the that's kind of the routine for everybody uh, in the media who's attending games. How much fun are you actually having covering the Nets? You know, every time I see you in the sidelines, you're you're smiling from ear to ear. You know, you just seem like you're just in your in your zen, just in this in this great arena covering the team that you really want to cover. How, how fun? How much fun are you actually having? Oh man, I appreciate that, Kerry, and uh, and big fan of yours, my man. Um, I'm a big basketball guy. I'm a big basketball fan. I'm a basketball fan who happens to be a reporter as opposed to a reporter who's given an assignment to cover basketball. And so um, appreciate the guys who compete at this level and play this game. So whether it was a few years ago and seeing D'Angelo Russell go off in a game against Sacramento or Spencer Dinwiddie, you know, surprising people and taking his game to another level as a guy who was, you know, cutting the G League, seeing Joe Harris and his rise before being dealt Jared Allen and seeing his growth as a big man in this league. My time, for those who know me, like extends back to Indiana. So I remember some classic Pacers, Nets battles that you were a part of for sure. Um, but my time in Indiana when I was working for the team and, and there, you know, I saw Paul George come up 
I saw some, you know, some decent Danny Granger years, but they had some, they had some quality guys, but not necessarily, you know, a superstar. And so um, my communication with those guys, Kerry, was like, you know, guys who were fighting for respect back against the wall, trying to prove something. It's a small market, you know, and again, seeing Paul George and his, his growth come to Brooklyn. Brooklyn was a 2021 win team, you know, my first, my first year here, back against the wall, trying to prove something. Knicks, you know, Knicks from a perception is up here, the Nets are here, the little brother, that whole thing, and then watching guys grow. And then to see the deal for Kyrie and Kevin, to see them come to Brooklyn, and then most recently the deal for James Harden, and then being a, a lover of the game and seeing what Kyrie does on a regular basis, uh, what James can do offensively in the way that he creates. And just the, I mean, the unbelievable way that Kevin prepares, gets his shots, executes that whole thing. Man, it's fun to watch. I guess it's really a, uh, it's really a pleasure to be able to um, watch, uh, watch those dudes. Um, I know we'll talk about the defense, which as a group isn't so fun, but offensively watching those magicians and masters of the game, like it's not hyperbole to say that three of the best offensive weapons to ever lace them up currently play on the same team yeah from a fan's perspective you know that that is amazing to see and just give us a little bit more of a perspective of what it's like just being where you are on the court like on the sideline that's different than if you were covering the game and you're up in the booth or like now right you're you're distant sometimes now where you're not as close maybe for the away games i don't know if you travel with the team or not but what is that like just being so close to the action watching all of these talented players up close and personal like, that's got to be kind of cool, right? Yeah, yeah, you know, because for a football game, being in the front row or whatever it may be, kind of a cool experience. You know, I've done I've done sideline reporting for the, uh, for the NFL, and, you know, that's a cool experience. Hockey, being there in the front row, I'm sure it's a cool experience. You know, being close at a baseball game, yeah, that's cool. But there's nothing like the intimacy and in being up close and seeing NBA players do their thing. To see Kevin almost seven foot and execute and get to his spots on the floor the way that he wants to and seeing his length and seeing what he does, there's nothing like it. To see Kyrie and his ball handling skills and the way that he finishes at the rim, there's nothing like it. To see James, damn near hypnotize a guy, going between his legs and then doing a step back that he's practiced a million times and hit nothing but net, it's ridiculous. Seeing LeBron, 6'8", 250, run the floor the way, the way that he does, throw pinpoint passes and continue to do it at his age, uh, is ridiculous. There are so many guys that you just have a different level of appreciation when you see them up close and personal. And I feel like the NBA provides that more so than any other sport. Sure, you go, man, Aaron Judge is all as hell when, like, when you get close to it. But you're not seeing Aaron Judge dunk on a guy and run full court sprint or make this beautiful pass or whatever it may be. Um, so the NBA is just different, man, and it's a real pleasure. And um, though for those who know, man, I, I bring my camera to games and you know, I like sneaking pictures and stuff like that because, you know, I just want to remember these moments. And this current group, uh, a long ways from the, the days of Donald Sloan and Isaiah Whitehead, I, I, I would imagine. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, <laughs> no doubt, Rob, no doubt. <laughs> it's, it's, it's night and day. It's night and day. 
you mentioned the, the defense. Of course, that's been the the complaint, and it, it's a valid one. Uh, and the team talks about it after every game, and it seems like Steve Nash talks about it after every game and, and sort of uh, tells them to check their pride. How often is that a, a theme or, around the team? How, how often has that frustration boiled over to where you can see it? I mean, just about every game, to be honest with you. I, th- I feel like every game there's a heated discussion about where someone is supposed to be on the defensive side of the ball. And um, Kerry was on teams where there was some continuity. Guys were around for a period of time. Sure, there was a little bit of player movement, but able to establish a chemistry where you knew where each other, where you were supposed to be. And they don't have that right now. They didn't have that before James arrived. They were still figuring things out. You need to be here. You need to be there, whatever it may be. And now that James is in the mix, they're having even more of those conversations. And so it's one thing if you're coming together and you're not a big name team and you're figuring things out to where maybe you have a night or two where you're overlooked. But the Nets are trying to figure out things defensively. And for the opponents that they're facing, it's their Super Bowl. It's their NBA Finals. Right out of the gate against Cleveland, which is a tough, physical, scrappy team with size, days after the Nets traded Jared Allen, you know, and and, and Torian Prince there, it was their Super Bowl. So you not only have a team that physically has the tools to give you problems, given the height and the, the Nets having front court issues, you have Colin Sexton, who is, to quote a Cat Williams joke, it looks like he's angry at breakfast. You have Jared Allen, who's motivated. You have Torian Prince who's motivated. It's their Super Bowl. Meanwhile, the Nets are trying to figure out who they are as a team. They're trying to figure out, what you're supposed to do this, you're supposed to do this. They're trying to figure all this stuff out. So there's a lot of things happening all at once as they try to build, you know, continuity, understanding each other, where they're supposed to be, trust, all those things. And night in and night out, when you see Brooklyn Nets on the marquee, guaranteed that opponent is going to bring it bring it because just something that the Nets are a name that you're going to circle on the calendar now and for the Nets you can notice a difference in the games where they're facing teams where they're actually circling on the calendar like the Clippers like that early matchup with Philadelphia like the Utah Jazz like the Boston Celtics and the Milwaukee Bucks where the Nets brought they brought it but they didn't bring it against Detroit they didn't bring it in you know against the Memphis Grizzlies they didn't bring it against other these these other sub 500 teams so I think they also have an issue when it comes to um, avoiding playing down to the opponent because these opponents, they're all bringing it. Speaking of teams, you guys have a, an iconic broadcast team. My, my friend Ryan Rucco, Richard Jefferson, obviously, Sarah Kustak, uh, Ian Eagle, legendary Ian Eagle. Who's your, your favorite and least favorite person to work with on the, the Nets broadcast team? <laughs> <laughs> Put him on the spot, Rob. I'm going to be on the spot with that. There's no way I can answer that question. I would say an RJ joke, but I, I joke about RJ too often, man. So um, I, I joke about him too much. But uh, but no, I would throw RJ in there. But no, the entire team is amazing. I, I learned so much on every single broadcast. I'm not giving you the answer that you want. But, I, you know, our squad is fantastic. Like we have we have A-list, you know, players that we're covering or whatnot. And um and we have an A-list squad, so I uh, love every one of those guys. <laughs> the answer I wanted was the laugh. I didn't want you to actually answer that. Go ahead. No, okay. <laughs> and listen, Ian Eagle is the GOAT. Let's just be real. Ian Eagle should be calling every Super Bowl for the rest of the time with Kevin Harlan on the radio, Ian Eagle on TV. I'm, yeah. I, I'm good on, on you know the gym, Nat. Give me Ian Eagle. Uh, every year, it's Jake here, Grady. Great to have you on. You know the tooth, the uh, Indiana Sportscaster of the Year, an Emmy winner, 
But people might know not know that you are also the Pacers public address announcer. So I kind of want to challenge you here because I did audition a couple of years back for the Nets PA opening. They had like open tryouts, and I figured why not just show up. So I want to give a call <laughs> of how I would introduce Kerry Kittles in the starting lineup, and then I want to hear your call. Are you cool with that? Oh, okay. I can't. I can't do a call. My uh, my my stepson's doing school right now. But I'm all ears for yours, though, brother. Okay. I'm all ears for yours. <clears throat> all right. <laughs> and out of Villanova, shooting guard number thirty, Kerry Kittles. All right. That's that's the uh, that's the opening lineup. Hey. And, and now and now the three point call for Kerry Kittles. Three okay. point goal, Kerry. Kittles from Jason Kidd. I lo- now if you don't if you, Nets fans know that because they re- you remember Carrie the PA announcer in New Jersey was iconic. He had some he had Todd McCullough and he had all sorts of incredible Jason Kidd calls. So that that's my audition for you, Grady. <laughs> pretty good, pretty good. I like it. Taking me down memory lane, man. Uh, you know, I, I like to do this, Grady, because Kerry is a little embarrassed right now just off of that. A- anytime people compliment him or you know, pick him up, can, can you give your favorite Kerry Kittles memory or why you're a fan of, of Kerry? Uh, well, for me, Kerry's not that old. This, we're not going that many years back. But when I was in Indiana and those uh, those teams with Ron Artest and Jermaine O'Neal, and I used to not like um, – uh, the teams that the Pacers faced. Uh, the Knicks in the 90s used to hate those squads and the physicality of those series. And as I get older, I'm nostalgic. I'm like, man, those are some amazing, those are some amazing battles out there. And uh, that, that playoff series where it was a 1-8, one, one if, if I'm not mistaken, and a double overtime in a game five. I low-key at times miss game five. But um, so there's a, there's a respect when man i don't like these dudes but time goes on you're like oh man i respect the hell out of those are some amazing series those are some amazing battles um but one of the one of the main things though on top of that in those battles cases and that was um i really started studying basketball and really started getting into basketball in 1996 watching college hoops and alan iverson stephon marbury and uh ray allen at connecticut Kerry Kittles at Villanova. I mean, that, that class. I know 2003 was amazing. I know there are some other years that were amazing. But in my mind, nothing is going to top 1996, period. Kobe coming out of that group, obviously, out of high school. Steve Nash, um, they are just some amazing names. And so anybody anybody that uh, was with that group, it does something to me. Because that, that, that was an amazing time. Classic, you know, Big East years. Those years mean a lot to me. Kerry, how do you feel about that? I, I mean, I, I definitely agree. I, I think that class was 100% the deepest class ever. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Even when it's frustrating at times, definitely fun to cover for us, and I'm sure for you, and you're doing a great job doing it with the Yes Network. You can follow Michael Grady on Twitter, at Grady, and on Instagram, the Michael Grady. Uh, Grady, we really appreciate your time today. Uh, anytime, guys. Appreciate you.
It's episode eight, so why not have a former Net that wore number eight on the show? He played parts of two seasons with the Nets, currently the Pacers pre-half and post-game TV analyst on Fox Sports Indiana as the Nets take on the Pacers Wednesday night. Welcome to Full Court on Flatbush. It's Eddie Gill. Now, Eddie, uh, before we talk about the, the Pacers as a team, I, I want to talk uh, about a, a former Net who's now on the team in Karis LeVert. Obviously, he hasn't made his debut as of yet, um, and had that procedure to remove the, the kidney cancer. And, and thankfully, uh, apparently no other treatments are necessary. But, you know, how, how did that all go down around the team? And how did Karis handle all that? Because I know he said that the, the trade could have saved his life. First of all, thank you guys for having me. I appreciate uh, coming on here today. But but definitely that that trade was incredible blessing, obviously, for, for Karis LeVert and, and the team. I thought they did a really nice job of making sure that, you know, his health, and uh, his longevity was first and foremost, and, and basketball was second. You know, they made sure they took the necessary precautions and necessary steps to make sure he was good there. It sounds like he will make a full recovery and be ready to play at some point this season. I don't think they've uh, indicated any timeline up to this point, but it sounds like he will be ready at some point. And um, he himself, in, in all interviews, I mean, you, you guys probably know better than I do, has an incredible spirit about him, uh, incredible confidence about what he's able to do. And uh, he's, more than anything, he was just grateful uh, for the entire process. Uh, Eddie, this is Kerry Kittles. Just, just want to get your thoughts on the Nets thus far. We, I, I know we don't have a huge sample size of the team, but obviously, you know, you, you know, they have this big trade that happened midway through, and you, and you bring in James Harden, and everyone is talking about the wonderful uh, adjustment that he's made with his game to fit in. But what are your thoughts on the Nets? You know, first-time head coach Steve Nash, and also the adjustments that superstars Kevin Durant and Kyrie had to make when you bring in another player who's sort of ball dominant and who's going to have the ball and distribute the ball in, in James Harden. What are your thoughts on that? I think one of the biggest things is a lot of unrealistic expectations on the team that's, you know, being put together, you know, to, to some degree on the fly. Obviously, they have a new coaching staff. There's one adjustment there, uh, a number of different trades uh, going on, free agent acquisitions. Um, it, it doesn't hurt that three of those guys that, you know, that come in are three of the best to do it, especially on the offensive end of the floor. So you think in time they will be, you know, figure out a way to gel and, and have a, a greater sustainability on, in terms of their success. Obviously, the defensive end of the floor is something they got to shore up. They haven't been able to get that done as of yet. But offensively, you, you can't find more firepower in any starting lineup when you put uh, KD, Kyrie, and, and James Harden out there together. So that's a formidable lineup, and, and you, every defense is going to have their hands full with them. But ultimately, Gary, you know you got to be able to guard the basketball, keep people out of the paint, keep people away from the rim, and, and stop giving up open three-point shots to be a championship contender. So I think, you know, they got veterans on that team. They should be able to figure it out. And, and by the end of the season, definitely be contending to come out of the East. How about the Pacers? Uh, you know, smack dab in the, in the middle of the East playoff picture. Obviously, you're still waiting to, to see Levert's status, but Sabonis having another big year. Uh, Malcolm Brogdon ha has been a good fit there. W what do you see as the, the ceiling for the Indiana Pacers right now? Um, it's a confident team. I, I think uh, similar to what I mentioned, you know, defensively, I think there's issues there in terms of consistency. They, they definitely have flashes of where they're playing high-level defense and, and other times where there's some slippage. But uh, offensively, I think this team has been great. They play a, a great brand of team basketball. You never know who's going to go for 25 or 30 on a given night. They have, a, you know, three or four guys who could potentially do that. You know, guys coming off the bench who could potentially do that. I love what I've seen to Malcolm Brogdon since his uh, departure from Milwaukee Bucks. Um, that, you know, he was there kind of playing off the ball. Giannis Antetokounmpo, uh, ball dominant there for good reason because of the amount of plays that he makes. 
So you didn't really know what you know what, what to expect when Malcolm came in with Indiana Pacers, and obviously had added responsibility, added expectations, and he's answered the bell uh, in a major way, especially this year with the way he's been able to score it, uh, assisted and rebound. So you mentioned Demontis Bonus probably going to be an, an All Star again for the second time. He absolutely dominates the paint, and uh, they 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 have a number of guys around them that play well. But the biggest part for this team, you know, dating back to last season, is trying to stay healthy. Uh, right now, they're missing T.J. Warren. Uh, we've seen what he was able to do in terms of scoring the basketball. And obviously, you guys are well aware of Karis LeVert and what he can bring to the table. Now, speaking from your own perspective, Eddie, when you look at a team like Brooklyn, and you just talked about the, the top, but you know we talk a lot about the kind of additions they could make. You you played everywhere, obviously, in the, the NBA, a CBA All-Star, uh, D-League All-Star and Champion, Belgian Cup, Italy, Greek League, Russian League, you know, all over the place. When... There, there is such a limited number of players who are actually in the NBA. How many guys can you, you know, speak from a personal perspective? Do you think are, are out there just waiting for their opportunity and really think they could still help a, a team like Brooklyn on, on the margins, if you will? Yeah, I think there's a, there's a fine line for guys that are just on the cusp to, of getting in, and, and those guys who are who are in. So, you know, the old adage is there's there's just so many spots that that are available, right? There's more players than spots that are available. Now, granted, I, I don't think there's a, a huge amount of players who, you know, you can't just substitute any anybody off the street or I shouldn't say anybody off the street, but any professional who's playing internationally and throw him in an NBA game, he's going to be successful. I don't think there's a, a large number of those guys, but there there is a significant amount of, of guys who could come in and contribute and, and make a, a nice career in the NBA. But the fact of the matter is there's only so, so many jobs and so many opportunities out there. And sometimes there's decisions made out there. Uh, by management or, or coaching staffs, and, and some of those may or may not be basketball decisions. So, so therefore, some of those guys on the cusp, they get left on the outside looking in. Yeah, Eddie, you, you mentioned Malcolm Brogdon earlier, and, and the Nets are very fortunate to have uh, Kyrie as, as like their, their small guard, right? And you were a, a guard, you know, point guard your entire career. What, what are your thoughts on, on today's game? You know, like when you and I played, it was, you know, a, a big man's league, as everyone said. You, everything was built around the big man, around the basket. And now the NBA and professional sport, and even basketball in general now, is built around little guys. <laughs> it's built around those Damian Lillers and, and the Kyries and, and, and Steph Curry. So what are your thoughts on today's game and how it's transitioned now and to this spread the court ball dominant from the from the perimeter shooting a lot of threes are you like are you a fan of it do you like it um do you think it's sustainable for for the nba what's your thoughts on that sure i i, I like the, the evolution of the game in terms of um you know you got multiple ball handlers out there a lot of times you know to your point you're saying two uh, sometimes two point guards out there on the floor and in some cases three you know one of them may be a, a bigger guy six five six six you know six seven range that a lot of these guys will be able to or starting to be able to do a lot of different things regardless of their size um so i, I do like the evolution of, of, of that piece of it just seeing multiple guys out there making plays uh obviously the three-point shot is more prevalent than it's ever been i do think there's value in having big guys who can man the paint rebound the basketball block shots um set screens and, and some of those some of those things that aren't as tantalizing i guess to the eye um you know so obviously steph Kyrie, all these different things that they're able to do. You know, these guys are magicians with the basketball, so you'd love to see that. But there's a place for sure for big men to be able to man the paint and get things done there. So, um, you know, I I think it's twofold. I do like the evolution, but I also think there's a place for the big men as well. Eddie, Eddie, it's Jake here. And, uh, you know, Robin talked about it, but, I mean, your journey is unbelievable. Like, you've played in leagues – 
Some of us haven't heard. I mean, CBA, IBL, NBA, D-League, but Belgium, Italy, Greek, Russia, Australia, uh, with the crocodiles, Germany, Italy. Like, I don't know if I'm forgetting any country. I don't know if you played in Iraq. I, I mean, Iran, I don't know if there's other countries on there, Eddie, but the list is long. I mean, you must have stories for days. Would love to hear maybe for some of our full court on Flatbush international listeners, kind of the stories of from playing in all these different countries, any country that like you love and the fans are passionate that we might not know about. Did a crocodile ever come out on the court in Australia? Any kangaroos in the stands? Can you tell us some of these international stories? That that would be a really good one. I can't, I, I, I can't deliver on that. I will say, you know, some of these places, you know, I played like, for example, so there's some places where I played in the NBA and, you know, internationally in the same season. So that happened a couple different times. You mentioned you mentioned Greece, for example. I was there for a short time. So, yeah, there's a number of places, but a number of those places I was there for maybe a month or And then, like, for example, when I was in Greece that same season, I went and played um, for a short time in the CBA and then finished the season uh, with the Portland Trailblazers. But, yeah, I mean, you're talking about yeah, the cultures that I was able to be a part of and, and kind of really just digest was, you know, heaven sent. You know, those are opportunities that I would have never gotten. Uh, one of the craziest things for me was probably actually it was after my time with the Nets, my rookie year. Uh, I was a free agent after that, and we didn't make it. We didn't make it to the playoffs, and uh, there was a team in Italy that wanted me to come out there and just just play for the for their playoffs. In their playoffs, it was like a two month span for me to, to go out there and play. So I ended up doing it, and I think in the first game we ended up playing like the, the one of the rivals in, in the neighboring cities, and they're shooting flares across the gym, and and I was like, what is going on out here? And you've seen it more so in like I had seen that in soccer. You know, obviously they play outside, but some of this stuff was going on in the gym. So yeah, that was crazy. We ended up going to the uh, to the finals there. We go to the uh, to the we play an away game, and they had like the barriers set up behind the bench, like these big uh, this big structure. And I'm like, and when we first go there, I'm like, why do they have these behind the bench? We get up in the game about ten points, and then I realize why they have them there because it, all, almost instantly things started being <laughs> thrown from the stands at us while we're on the bench, but obviously those uh, barriers are there to block them. So um, the passion is on another level in, in some of those countries. Um, I definitely appreciate the passion, but uh, I can do without being thrown things that are thrown things being thrown at me or flares or, you know, whatever else. And, I, and actually the last piece of that is we end up losing in the finals at the away arena. We got on the bus, went back to our parking lot where our cars were, and there was about 100 fans outside waiting on us to get off the bus. They wanted answers. So, yeah, the passion is on a whole nother level in some of those countries. Luckily, you don't have to answer to that when you're, you're doing the, the Pacers telecast. Eddie Gill, a former member of the Nets, currently does Pacers pre-half and post-game for Fox Sports Indiana. Eddie, we really appreciate your time today. Thank you guys for taking time. I appreciate it. That puts the icing on the cake for episode eight, the Darren Williams, or our guest this week, Eddie Gill edition of Full Court on Flatbush, our Brooklyn Nets podcast from the New York Post. Thanks to Jake Brown and Sarah McCrory for producing the show. Subscribe to Full Court on Flatbush on Apple Podcasts and give us a five-star rating. Write a nice review, please. We appreciate your support all season long. For Kerry Kittles, I'm Robin Lundberg. We return to your eardrums next Wednesday. Have a lovely Valentine's Day. And we'll talk to you next week. Stay safe, stay warm. 
stay healthy, and thanks for listening to Full Court on Flatbush. Peace. Seven.